Adulting.ca. That's A D U L T B R A I N.ca. You could have a sensor that is sensing how much light the plants are getting and that turns on the light, turns the lights on and off depending when they're getting light. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Ed Rosenthal a little bit later about... uh, well, all sorts of weed stuff and growing cannabis and smoking cannabis and, and um, you know, a lifetime, Ed's lifetime of uh, being on sort of the front line of legalizing cannabis and, and all that good stuff. And it's a great chat. It's a good one. You check it out. And we got a good friend of the show, Celia, here as well, joining us to talk about, uh, I think, uh, was it Fire the Grid, which is also, I think, is that somehow tied into... Um, our other friend of the show, Linda, somehow. Yes, it is. Hi, guys. Yep, that's weird. Linda, Linda is a big supporter and a, and so much help with this project. So she's taken on a lot of uh, uh, a lot of work, and it's been much appreciated. We'll get to see Linda a couple times this year. We'll get to see Very her cool. in Montana in June, and then uh, I know she's also going to Egypt uh, with us. Which I guess I should mention now while we're here because we haven't actually mentioned it out to the show yet. We've only sent it out uh, to the people who are on the wait list initially. And then uh, I think I sent out the newsletter now. So it's official. Yeah, the Egypt trip is officially on sale. I believe it's already over 50% sold. There's a hard, hard stop at 60. It's a 40 to 60 person tour. And I think there's almost closing in on 40 people signed up already. Um, you can head over to unchartedx.com slash tours, and it'll take you right over there. And it'll show you the full 14-day itinerary. I think it's around $6,300 US dollars. That doesn't include your to and from Egypt. It does include the two local flights while you're there and most of your meals. On the itinerary, it shows you exactly which meals are included and which ones aren't. Does include, of course, the four-day Nile cruise, cruising down the Nile, having a time. All that is all inclusive while you're on the boat. Probably not booze. I don't know about that, but all your food's covered and all that. And uh, of course, all the crazy special permissions: King's Chamber after hours, Queen's Chamber underground at the Serapium. All the stuff that uh, you wish you could do, you can do with uh, us, the Grand America guys, and the Brothers of the Serpent, the Snake Bros, Cal and Russ, and of course. Uh, the man himself, Ben, Ben from Uncharted X, uh, will probably be our main tour guide, of course, with the Comet School over there as well. So the Egypt is out there and popping. If you guys want to check that out, check that out now. Uh, the other exciting news is I've, I'm like doing all my CAC stuff, getting it all finalized and ready because we're heading to Arizona in a couple of days. And um, I was going through emails, and we have four spots left for uh, Utah. The one that was has been sold out since last May. I've scraped together a couple spots. It's our most popular event. Uh, it sells out the fastest anyway. Everyone has a great time. We go to Bryce Canyon under darkness and check out the stars. We're also there during the day. We have dinner there from our great cooks, on-location cooks. 
And uh, then we go do the Zion Canyon hike. Of course, we added the extra day this time as well. So we'll have a free day there where people can hang around the can cabin or they can go. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go do the Angels hike, uh, the crazy one, because it's a little too crazy for everyone to do. So we'll probably have like a shuttle going to each national park and some people might want to hang out there at the cabin and just relax. But it'll sort of be, we found last time was just a little too packed and it was over too fast. And uh, we had a blast out there last time. There was like 60 of us, I think. There was a ton of us. We had a good time. April, right? That one's April 28th to May 2nd. And uh, there's four spots left. I think there's a private room and uh, a couple of loft spots and maybe a camping spot. But uh, like I say, that shit goes fast, 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 fast. So uh, contact at thecabin.com. All the events are on there. There's a couple, two or three spots left for the Montana trip with Randall Carlson. Four spots left for Utah. Uh, if you're hearing this and you want to go to Arizona, just email me. I might be able to squeeze you in somewhere, but that one's pretty well sold out. We're heading down there and like it starts in like four days or three days. But email me and uh, I'll see what I can do if you're in the Arizona area or you want to jump on a trip last minute. We have a shuttle leaving Phoenix uh, next on weekend. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday? Thursday at 2 p.m. The shuttle's leaving the airport. So, um, you know, if you want to come party with us and... Uh, and a bunch of us, you know, us and after school's coming and our buddy Greg from THC's coming and uh, it's close enough now, I guess we can say this kind of stuff, but it's going to be a blast. We're going to have a blast. Brandon Powell's coming and he's bringing uh, the guy we said might come. Remember we talked to him? I forget his Mark, name Mark already. England? Mark England is coming now and Owen Hunt and Joe Root and we are going to have a fucking time up on that Holy. mountain. Wow. On the 10th to the 13th it is going to be a fantastic time. Like I say, if you want to get in on that, I can maybe squeeze you in. Shoot me an email, com, and uh, we'll see what we can do. So I think that's it. And, and oh, I guess we might as well say, since Randall was just on Joe Rogan, um, we got two Scablands tours because we're getting a ton of Scablands interest already. So we got two Scablands tours this September. One's from the 19th to the 24th, Monday to Saturday, leave Saturday. Come in Monday, leave Saturday. And then we got another one on the following Monday from the 26th to that Saturday, which I think is October 1st. And uh, that's all the Scabland stuff. So we're going to have a blast up there. Brad and Powell's coming again. We'll have the ice bass outside. And uh, we've done this one a couple of times. If I had to pick one that we know what we're doing this would probably be the one that's closest to us knowing what we're doing. We've been out there twice already. We have a great relationship with the people out there at Soap Lake Lodge. And it's a fantastic time. So if you want to check that out, once the Joe Rogan crowd uh, sniffs onto that and, uh, you know, the Cosmography is exploding right now, that event is going to sell out fast. So there's about uh, 50 spots left between the two weeks right now. So if you want to go... Get over there now. Make a deposit before the Joe Rogan crowd fucking buys all that shit up. And that's all our events for next year. And, uh, you know, get in on what you can. Right on. Before I forget to mention about this episode here, it does get pretty technical. The first maybe 45 minutes or an hour is pretty technical on growing weed. Like Darren's asking a bunch of questions and Darren and, and Ed are getting into the details of lighting and seeds and seasons and uh, locations and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of details, but it does open up a little bit later on to kind of the more like cultural aspect and legality and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, Celia, how are you doing? 
Wait, hey, wait, wait. I'm Bef- very well. Oh, Before we get into that, because we're going to talk about Fire the Grid now? Well, so. and other stuff. And too. other stuff. Okay, well, as we get into that, I got to play this. I've been waiting for an excuse to play this. Okay. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we had the new moon, dark sky, which is great. <laughs> had a plan, camping, pitched a tent, went back there for the night. Crystal clear. Darkest night. So I had to read that meditation, did the singing bowl, and that shit starts happening. Pow, pow, pow. Uh-oh. We started seeing flash bulbs. Speakers coming down. Graham Dunlop is the he said star. Graham Dunlop is the he said Okay, star. that's enough. We haven't heard Bloody. that in years. It's Bloody. not different. Blah. That's because you're on the Zoom, maybe. Yeah, maybe that is why, yeah. Yeah, it was like mono or something. All right, take it away, Dunlap. Anyways, that's the compilation that was made years ago about our C-SETI events, Celia. So new moon, dark sky, all that good stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, what do you want to get into? You want to talk about like the freedom stuff for now? Definitely, or, yeah. That's the, the most exciting first? thing happening right now, hey? Yeah, well, I appreciate your emails. I mean, you've obviously got a pretty big email list or something, or you've been in touch with the different different sort of groups, spiritual groups, UFO groups across the world. And, and you've been sort of giving a great update. Well, yeah, I don't know if there's a huge number of people on my email list, but I love to compile all the memes and the videos from the day and just push the news out at night, just because I'm going to do it anyways. And um, it's fascinating what's happening and how this is all uh, unfolding. Can people get on that list at all? If if they, um, are, they could are just like email me personally, yeah. celia.hatch at gmail.com. Sure. Okay, I'll put that in the uh in the in the show notes. In the show notes. Yeah, I've been it's been amazing to me how many people are getting um getting involved in this. It really does seem to be huge. I mean, it really does feel like it's huge. And I and I, I feel like I'm getting pretty emotional about the whole thing over and over. And, and I was thinking today because there's people chatting from more real, like spiritual sort of mother earth sense, like, Oh, don't follow this. Like mother earth is going to save us that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, although I have time for all that, it's like, this is, this is, this is to me, a maybe it is the divine awakening. I mean, why am I getting so emotional over seeing so many people fight for our freedom? Like so many normal people. And then to see the blatant lies uh, that are completely 180 degrees opposite. It it just to me like this this could be what people need to wake up and see how bad it really is. Yeah, it is supercharged, and I wonder if maybe part of the reason why I'm emotional too is because um, I mean it's it's succeeding like wildfire, and I think the reason why it's succeeding and there's a ton of different factors. I'd be curious to know what you think of it, but I mean one of the things that aligns with the fire of the grid um, principles is that this is high frequency, right? Like these truckers are bringing something that is joyous and there's dancing and there's hugs and, you know, community. And it's just, it's just an incredible event that is not really based in that, like fighting against something, but just like claiming what is ours. That's a great point. I was watching um, the live stream from one of my favorite guys, Viva Fry, Viva Frey yesterday a little bit. And he went to the counter demonstration and tried to talk to them. And it was a way, way different frequency. And I mean, this was an energetic difference. I mean, it was all black and white and different signs. They wouldn't want to talk. They, some people wouldn't let him talk, even if people wanted to talk. Um, wow. And it was very negative, very, very just down. And then you hear 
you know, down the road at the at the parliament, all the honking and people dancing and and uh, all colors, colorful, and it it was a very distinct difference in energy. Wow, that's that's fascinating. That's a good confirmation of that, right? I mean, yeah. and it's nice to hear those little reports that um, you know. Did you hear that? one of Trudeau's insiders leaked that Trudeau is very anxious and not doing well. Right. So like, to me, that's just like awesome because if that's the energy that he's coming from, that is, you know, inspiring his actions and decisions, then um, it's clear who's going to win this. Yeah, it's, 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 well, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, they're, they're going to, they're going to pull out all the stops they can to, to get a handle on this. And I have some ideas. I'm not even sure if I want to even articulate those ideas. Yeah. I, keep not, your yeah. black pill I, crap out of here, black pill, Graham. I heard the, not the, time the, for Ottawa, it. the chief of police, the Ottawa's top cop talking about what ah. they're going to do and this, you know, and it's just gross what they're, what they're talking about, you know. Well, it was always going to happen, right? It was always going to happen. What was always going to happen? I mean, protests are supposed to get pushed back. Let's not forget that Black Lives Matter was a fucking anomaly of protests in the history of protests. Normally, the cops are there causing problems. Occupy Wall Street, they were not fucking happy. But they were mostly peaceful, though. Well, yeah, but the cops still come in and fucking bust you up. You I'm just kidding. I mean? Do you remember the mostly peaceful with the fire behind it and all this? I'm not getting this involved in all peaceful. that. Listen, I'm sure there was tons of really great Good people. <laughs> I'm sure there was tons of good protesters for BLM. I know a bunch of great people that support that and were out supporting that. The same as I know a bunch of great people that are out supporting the truckers and all that. And I'm sure there's some fucking scumbags out in Ottawa too. And and there was a ton of scumbags out in the BLM thing. Not uh, saying anyone in particular. I mean, but no, there was but the a bunch of people is, causing problems. It's, it's pretty obvious. I which think one the problem was supported by the mainstream media and supported by all the institutions and big yes. tech and all that is supporting one side of that. Here in Canada, I think the biggest the problem is drinking. Once these people start drinking, <laughs> yeah. it's a very party it's atmosphere. A party. It's a very yes. party atmosphere. It is. People start yeah. drinking alcohol, and once you mix alcohol and thousands and thousands of people, it's not going to be hard to find. Uh, I mean, just uh, go down on fucking 17th. I mean, you can't now because Kenny's a piece of shit and we got all these stupid rules. But go down on 17th Avenue at 2.30 in the morning on a uh, on any given fucking Saturday night. And you'll see everything from people making out on a bench to people screaming at each other and probably a fist fight or two. And if you're like recording, yeah, but a couple is, people are going to be like, what the fuck you doing, bro? So th- that's a good point, because this protest, from what I've seen of all the live footage I've watched, and I haven't spent too much time on it, but it's been none of that. I mean, it's been pretty peaceful. They're cleaning up the city. They're making sure that like a lot of that stuff doesn't happen. I mean, I think they're going out of their way to make sure it's peaceful and loving and high, high frequency. For sure. But I guarantee you that's still happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's impossible to keep sure. it out. It's impossible. Especially when there's that many people and it's just something for the media to focus on. I mean, if anything, the real, uh, the real, the real surprise, not for me, but for some people is how terrible the media is, the Canadian media. Because I think a lot of people thought maybe that was just a, a south of the border thing. But, uh, I mean, they misstepped because what they didn't count on was that everybody knows somebody. Who, who maybe not, they don't, everybody doesn't know someone who's in Ottawa right now, but most people know someone who went to Ottawa or went downtown to one of these other major cities 
And if they don't, they definitely know somebody who supports the shit out of it. They know someone who went to an overpass. They know someone whose mom went to an overpass. They know someone whose grandma's out there fucking bringing sandwiches. It's just, it's too much. There's too, there's not enough degrees of separation as the media thinks there is on this one. Mm -hmm. They weren't paying attention to the overpasses and the this and the that. And uh, they're going to have a hard time. Because here's the thing, as soon as someone starts saying, well, and I mean, it might work to say it on the TV and stuff like that, but go out in a group with 10 of your friends, and unless you guys are all like completely fucking, totally echo chamber insulated, if you went out with any 10 random people and started talking about the trucker protest and someone started calling them fucking racists and and Nazis and this and that, there's going to be at least two or three people in that group that are like, hey, man, my fucking brother-in-law's out there, and he's fucking brown, or, you know, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. There's too much. Yeah. I mean, in our office, there's, like, there's a good sample size. It's, like, 50-50 of people that support it, and there's not, the other 50% aren't really against it. They just don't really fucking, they're not, you know, they don't know what the fuck's going on half the time. Yep, totally. Well, you know, the hotel owners have been leaking to the organizers about what um, Ottawa or the government has been doing buying up hotel rooms, right? And then as well, uh, some insider gave them information from what was going on in the military about how like, they just military does not support Trudeau. So, yeah, exactly what you're saying, Darren. The There's all of these um, connections and the representation that mainstream media is trying to give out that um, most of Canadians think this is irresponsible or um, whatever, whatever they're spouting is just simply untrue. It seems like it might make a difference on the mandates. Like, like Graham said, there's a ton of wiggle room on, on it all, whether the wiggle rooms there to shut up the people that are going to freak out about the mandates coming off. So it seems like it's not a final thing, but hopefully it is. I mean, my hope would be to see actual legislation. The interesting thing is to see, the, but uh, regardless of what happens with that, I don't see how Trudeau recovers from this. Um, I just don't see how he can ever be the prime minister moving forward. And if he does, I don't see how it can last long because every place he tries to go, he's going to have a hell of a time. Because what he's done now is like, his first time he came out and made the comments about, uh, that's you. Bless, Bless you. Thank you. Graham wouldn't do it. That's why I did it to myself, but Celia's here. So, um, the first time he came out and he really, really misread the room and he has since I, well, the speech is out there, but he has since deleted the tweets that said the exact same thing. There was a thread of three tweets in English and in French, and they've all been deleted all six tweets. And, uh, that were basically parroting what he said on the news, which was it was fringe group with unacceptable views. Yep, and they tweet that and he wrote that, that said that it was disgusting. When I seen it, like that, there was like three thousand favorites and like eighteen thousand comments. And oh you go in gosh. the comments, and it was like all these fucking people from all over the world fucking dunk, dumping on him, dunking on him, including like the Indian prime minister, who's like, "Hey, man." When we were doing the same thing a year ago, you came out and had a fucking press conference about how we better watch it and Canada would be keeping an eye on us and they had the backs of the protesters and blah, blah, blah. And now you're hiding? 
Yeah. Yeah, but the, don't forget, he doesn't need to read the read the room. He's not he's not gonna read the room because he's told he's he's not even really deciding what to do. He's being told by a council of people what to say, what to do. He's the head of the of the of the Liberal Party right now. Of so the if he if he right doesn't now. get he's one, the, he's one of the WEF superstars. But that doesn't matter because he's fucked at home because he's he's got controllers that are way above the people of Canada. He's gonna it doesn't matter. The people of Canada still have to have some sort of something. He's there's no well, way he can recover from it yeah, because his gonna... party's starting to turn on him. The opposition has now replaced him with some people who are going to turn on him. The only peg that's left to drop is the media. And considering yep, and... the Trudeau Foundation has been trending on Twitter for like three days, it almost seems, starts to seem like they're just like, all right, they're gonna sacrifice you're him. on your own. They are. They're going to throw him under the bus. Because if they because keep him the around, the they're fucked. If they keep Trudeau around for another six to 12 months, then they don't get to do it anymore because people will be so fucking fed up that it's going to be a Pierre Polivier or something like that. So they, I don't know what they're going to do, but they need to find someone that the people don't fucking hate. Because if they keep him around every day or week, that you know, he's got some cheerleaders. You got to remember, he won the election of Canada with twenty-one percent of the vote. Twenty-one percent of the vote. Only sixty-six percent of the people that fucking were eligible to vote voted. The Conservatives won the uh, popular vote. He got in because of the electoral system. So when you actually do all the math, it's twenty-one percent of Canadians that actually support Trudeau. And I would say that that is now down to 10 because he's pissed off a bunch of them because he's ostracized somebody they know or them or somebody they care about. Or if they weren't already upset about the mandates, this net last thing has been the last step. So to try and keep him around, I think, would be suicide for their plans. They are probably the people that right now want him out the most. Um, well, I don't know if they want him out more than the Canadians right now. But I mean, they, they, I guarantee you that those same controllers are like, okay, who's the next guy? Because this guy's fucked. And they just trashed O'Toole, too. Yep. So, but maybe, I mean, so for him to stick around would be incredibly obnoxious. And every time I see him, I swear he's been crying. This is my thing. Everyone's like, he does. He looks he like looks he's, like he's been crying. Very well. He looks like he's been crying and like, is having a hard, hard time because I think he is extremely, extremely entitled and spoiled and narcissistic. Well, imagine how it feels when you're doing what your mentors tell you to do and you think you're leading this global push and you're just getting just, by the whole just, yeah. Even just take all that out of it. Can you just imagine knowing that fucking tens of millions of people around the world fucking hate you? And... Millions and millions and millions and millions of your countrymen are willing to come out in a fucking form that hasn't been seen since Terry Fox ran across the fucking country because they don't like you. And at first it didn't start as that. He could have dodged it. He could have like came out, been fucking statesman about it, maybe met with them, said, all right, well, you leave a few people here. We'll talk about it. But, you know, and and that could have maybe won over some people from the other side saying, hey. You know, Trudeau, maybe he's willing to talk, you know, maybe he's not such a piece of shit, but he went the other way. And I think he really misread the room. And if they weren't sacrificing them already, I don't see how they can keep him around now because it will absolutely fucking destroy the Liberal Party's credibility every day that he's in there now, especially the fact that he's still fucking hiding. I mean, yeah. 
He's that still we, in we're like, past what, day the eight? five days now. <laughs> I mean, we're into the like, you know, my guy, one of my guys has COVID right now. He was sick Friday and he's called me today. He's like, when can I come back to work? And I'm like, dude, you can't come back to Wednesday. The new rules are five days. So, but I mean, prime minister now is on nine days. Uh, even the people who were his supporters, a lot of them are calling for his head because you can't fucking disappear for nine days. You can't not say anything for nine days. You can't sit at home and tweet about your kid's birthday party or Olympians and how you and your wife support this. It's fucking asinine. It's crazy. There's I, there's no coming back from this. I don't see how it's fucking possible. Well, the the interesting thing, thing is, I think he's going to come and say he's got to take some time for his family and or something and the covid him and his family getting covid has made him realize how short life is i could write the speech for him and uh he needs to spend some more time with his wife and kids and helped him realize how how fragile all is and and he's gonna walk out i think and pass the torch before he pushes us further and further to the right yeah, for sure. What were you going to say, Celia? Oh, the funniest thing that I saw uh, recently was a reporter asking another reporter, like, what is Trudeau doing? And the other reporter said something like, oh, I think he's just wet his pants. So, like, he's just being roasted. Yeah, I totally agree. There's no way he can come back. He's having a hard time. He's having a fucking hard time out there. I mean, if he wasn't such a terrible person, I would I would feel bad for him because, I mean... It's a tough one. I mean, the only person who might be having a tougher time than Justin Trudeau right now on the entire planet, other than like people who are like in slavery and, you know, dealing with real adversity. But if we're talking about like internet adversity, it's like JT and JR are like side by side. It's Joe Rogan and JT opposite. Not, I wouldn't even say opposite end of the spectrum. Jordan Peterson? Yeah, him Joe, too. No, Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, JB, I forgot about him. Yeah, he's forgettable. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's getting on the one side and JT's getting on the other, and they're both probably paying people to incite the other side so that it takes a fresh off of them. I don't think Joe Rogan would do that, to be perfectly honest, but I could see, uh, I could see uh, our buddy Trudeau doing it. So what's it like, Celia, for, like, you know, I mean, the, we've been battling. I think part of the reason why it's so emotional for me is because we've been sort of pushing against this for a while, just in our own little way, but just not thinking there's much hope and and um, and not knowing what to do. People don't have direction, not knowing. And this has given people direction. It's given them something that doesn't only have logistical value with the horns and the trucks and the blockades and like really like a physical thing, but also a, a spiritual movement and a, and a, uh, uh you know, a, a way to protest. Uh, what do you, what do you think about the, the, how split all the communities are still like the spiritual UFO? Is that, have you found that? It is Crazy. weird. I do find that, um, there's still a lot of people that are just in the dark and it's simply because of the information that they don't have. Right. And I thought that this tide was going to change when the media uh, was taken over or, you know, like that whole control system was removed um, and that we could actually get some real journalism happening. But um, like what you just said about the, the truckers, they have these beasts of machines, right? Like basically it's the equivalent size of a tank. And I watched two tractors um, push a police van out of the way on the internet right so it's like okay so so we do have a little bit of Midas right here in that um like we actually need physical power to to 
to work with us or, or at least do we need it? I don't know, but it's working very well for us and coming out of such of a, like innocuous place, right? Like a big, a big semi has never seemed like that threatening or powerful, but, but it is. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned about spirituality, right? Like most of these truckers are very spiritual. They're not particularly, I mean, it seems that quite a large segment of them are Christian, but they're not necessarily uh, promoting a certain religion, but they are referencing God and they are talking about, you know, light and love. And I think that's another big factor in terms of like why this is so powerful and how, why this is kind of like coming out of complete left field and, and sweeping across the world. So you think it's organic? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You think it's not organic? No, I think it is. Yep. I, yeah. yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I know I've seen it's a, at least a, half a few... organic. It has to be because I know like dozens of people that have donated or oh, are yeah, supporting yeah, yeah, yeah. it or, yeah. you know, whatever it is, has got organic people caught up in it. So, I mean, that might be, be the real reason why it's what it is because it's organic. It has that spiritual power behind it. Like, I mean, they've uh, made what? True... $4.3 million in less than 48 hours since the GoFundMe got shut down. I can't even, I can't even find it on the give, send, go right now. I'm looking I mean, at it right it's now. Hard to, it's so hard it's to a, actually donate. Yeah, They made $3.4 million US so far. What is it? Wow. Give, Which send, is, go.com slash what? Freedom Convoy 2022, I think. If you just um, go to give, send, go.com, it's like no, the third it's, one it's, down. No, it's, it's hard to find. Uh, I literally I'll get just it. did it. I'll get it. I literally um, just did it while we were doing the show. I know. I I tried to too. So it's not it's not coming. What what browser are you using? Uh, I'm Brave? using. Uh, I'm using. Uh, I think it's like Vanadium or something like that. Whatever comes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't. I was telling you, there was a bunch of freedom ones. There was twelve of them at, at least that I had to go through at least to 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 flip by because they're there's tiny tiny little small ones. For me, it's number three. Yeah, it is givesendgo.com forward slash freedom convoy 2022. And it does take a lot of time. I, I guess I got a, I saw a meme somewhere that said that they're having a lot of attacks, actually, like external attacks to this um, small charity uh, program or whatever. Yeah. Donation platform. So, um, so yeah, it's hard to, it took me like a few hours to actually get my donation through. Oh yeah, there it is. They have sixteen million as a goal there. Yeah, so that didn't come up when I when I just went to give send go. So it's already halfway it. down the other one. Are you using Google for Christ's sakes? No, no, you are on the page. What browser Brave, are you using? Yeah. Brave. Yeah. Brave. Yeah. That's so it's weird. I I typed in the slash and it worked, but I couldn't find it on the homepage. There's a bunch of fake. It's almost like there's a bunch of small ones to. To I, I hate to be so conspiratorial about it, but it's hard oh, not to be, you know. But. Oh, totally. They're scams. Um, somebody actually alerted me on Telegram. Uh, you know, this is this group that you're a part of. This like I don't I remember the name of it, but it's like a a fake Ottawa convoy group, and uh-huh. they are asking for donations to a PayPal account. So you have to be careful because people are like Ooh, ready to be generous start, for this. Yeah, we should start a Grammarica trucker convoy. Mm-hmm. We'll bring a flag down to the Arizona with us. Bonk, bonk. But the other thing I was going to say was the simplicity of the message. They have done a very good job for being somewhat normal people. I mean, I know one of the leaders is kind of out there. He had a podcast or he was involved in, in doing sort of podcast or something, but 
for them to stay so uh, so peaceful, keep their message on point, to not be allowing like they they really do know that they're going to be lied about. They know they're going to be. They know what the media is going to do. They know that there's going to be sort of false flag attempts or at least agent provocateur attempts in there. They've kind of got plans to deal with that. I mean, they're even. I think they've got people protecting the statue and stuff. I mean, they know that they're going to. That these things are going to be tried. And the message is very simple: just get rid of all the mandates. It's not anti-vax. It's not anti-this. It's not. It's just like. Stop the mandates. Very, very simple. Yeah, and almost everybody can get on board with that. Like, um, I'm not sure what the Angus Reid poll said, but majority of Canadians just don't want mandates anymore. Because yeah. honestly, if there were some restrictions and it actually worked yeah. and the COVID death rate went down, then okay, like, sure, like, I would be okay with that. But when you, like, tell uh, yeah. people that they cannot work to foot, put food on their table, like, no. Yeah, and that is work unreal. Yeah. And they're not working. Should I read this thing? Uh, yeah, from, please. Uh, so it's this, it's just a thing I found in the Vaccine Choice Canada Telegram. There, it's Paul Golightly, and it says uh, it's difficult to articulate what today was. I'm exhausted. My toes and fingers are still falling out. My ears are ringing from the chorus of constant trucker horns. But my heart is so fucking full. My God, do we have some truly beautiful souls in this country? My faith in humanity was restored today. This movement today was a giant therapy session for the ones who have felt abandoned, unheard, coerced, shamed, and marginalized. I spoke with a woman whose teenage son took his life on December 30th, 2021. He could not see a future for himself. He could not see a way out. He had lost all hope. He was 17. I spoke with a man who confessed he felt he'd been medically raped in order to provide for his family. He was sobbing, a big burly bear of a man who was clearly traumatized as fuck. He told me he doesn't know how to forgive himself for his self-betrayal. I spoke with people who have had their lives ruined by vaccine injury. I spoke with sweet little kiddos who just want to know what their teacher's face looks like. The pain and havoc that these measures have fueled are countless. Every single person there has gone through a dark night of the soul plus deep loss. We all have. We have all been broken in some way over the last two years. No one's coming out of this unscathed. The trauma that's been collectively and individually inflicted will echo in us and our country for years to come. Today was so healing. You could see it. You could feel it. People, including myself, randomly bursting into tears in awe of realizing we are not alone as we've been led to believe. Canadians came out strong today. All our collective hearts were on our sleeves today, regardless if you were in Ottawa or not. True, north, strong, free. We're going to have a hell of a time getting to the States. I mean, Coots is fucked. I think the other ones are kind of fucked now, so it's going to be interesting. Maybe we'll have to put an upside-down Canadian flag on a hockey stick and go uh, us through. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't even want to put that out there. <laughs> You should be fine. I'm sure, the small, I'm sure the small borders will be fine. We're going through one of the tiniest ones, right? Well, we're going to have to. It's going to add in, you know, some driving because yeah. the Coots one is super handy. Yeah. Oh, would we normally go through the Coots one? Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, Celia, do you want to talk about this Fire the Grid a little bit before we... Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So, um, Fire the Grid is coming up again. We have another event on February the 21st at 11.07 a.m. GMT. So, in Alberta here, it's going to be 4.07 a.m. And um, if you want to check your time, you'll have to go to the website and see 
when it will be for you around the world, wherever you are, uh, which is firethegrid.world, www.firethegrid.world. But um, I don't know, should I do a recap of the story? Yeah, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, so this all started back in 2002 when Samoya, Shelley Yates, um, back then uh, just known as Shelley Yates, drowned in a lake with her four-year-old son. And she met light beings. Uh, at the time, she called them or in, in the other part of the grid, she actually, the label that she called them was multidimensional extraterrestrial light beings. Now she's calling them light beings, um, I think partly to help, um, you know, cast a net farther to, like, people who are just really not into ETs at all. But, um, but you know, just keeping it simple and basic. But she met these light beings, and they gave her instructions on how to save the life of her son. And he went to a hospital. He was in a coma. Um, the doctors believed that he was brain dead. Um, his body started to rot from the inside out. Uh, there's a terrible smell in the hospital room. The doctors are like, please just unplug this child. But when he, when she had arrived at the hospital to see him and she went out into the hallway, she, um, remembered that in her near death experience, which, which had just been like a few hours previous, she had received instructions to bring people for three days, nonstop. 20 minutes at a time to place their hands on him and to do what is basically an energy transfer. She didn't tell people at the time. She was too embarrassed and didn't want to be weird. Uh, she just said, whenever she just called everybody in her little black book and said, Hey, come and put your hands on my boy and just tell him about what's so good about life and why he should stay. And so um, basically when you talk about your joy, you um, exponentially, right? Like you emanate your joy. And so uh, they did this for three days he got to a really critical um, a point, and then she went to the hallway and said, basically out, out loud to, you know, these light beings that she had been uh, not in communication, yeah, in communication with, because they had given their instructions right there in the hospital as well to remind her. Um, she said, like, what like what am I doing wrong? I've done everything you told me to do. And then uh, somebody from the hospital room called and said, Shelly, come quick. He's awake. And he's sitting up in his bed. The doctors are like, oh, you know, that's a reflex. He doesn't know who you are. And she asked him, do you know who I am? And he nodded his head because he had tubes coming out so he couldn't speak. And she said, is my name Rhonda? And he said, shook his head no. Is my name, you know, Sally? Shook his head no. Shook his head no. Like, mom, what are you talking about? Look on his face. And then she said, is my name Shelly? And he nodded his head. And she just turned to the doctor and said, we're not talking anymore. <laughs> so... They, they predicted that he wouldn't even walk, that he wouldn't even go to the bathroom anymore because his intestines were in such bad shape. But he was completely healed. Like the, his chest had burn marks from the defibrillators and they were gone. And he smelled like a brand new baby when she walked into that room. Wow. Wow. So complete miracle. And she tried to go on with her life. But um, a year later, the beings, light beings came back again. And the light beings now are pretty much full communication with her since the near-death experience. Um, and they've been telling her different things. but. They came to her to offer her a project one day and said, what you did with a small group of people for your dying son, you can do with a large group of people for a dying planet. So that's how Fire the Grid started. There's a big story about how she got uh, finally motivated to do it and how Aniel, the first organizer of Fire the Grid, um, helped uh, push her into doing it because uh, Samoya is a reluctant messenger <laughs> and uh, and she did it in 2007, 2009, 2011 and uh, they gathered a low estimates 20 million people to do this. 
So, so the whole idea is basically like an energy transfer. There is a grid of, um, I need to ask her, is it like humanity's consciousness or if it's like the earth grid or what is it? But each person has a hexagon on the grid and inside this hollow hexagon, um, like a frosted straw, there's a photon of light, which is your true essence. And when you're in joy, you, that, that little photon of light just zings around the hexagon really fast and it, um, floods the grid of a thousand hexagons around it with pure light so so somebody living in joy is very powerful so if you think about like we're talking about the freedom convoy like those people are joyful you can imagine the power that they have that want each of those people is basically like lending support to the grid to a thousand other people right so that that could explain why that pure joy like travels so far across the world yeah exactly so um so that so that's the mechanics of how it works, and um, and if you're not in joy and you're feeling down or depressed or angry or lonely or whatever, and your little photon of light is going slowly around this hexagon, then you're actually drawing from the grid. And so this is partly, you know, what uh, I don't know globalists or control powers want us to all live in fear and not really realize our own power and our manifesting ability and our ability to create a new world. Because at this point, so in 2002, it was all about uh, literally saving the like life of the planet in 2009 and 2011 it was more about okay so let's see how high we can elevate humanity's frequencies so that we can kind of program the future and change our timelines kind of thing and so here so here we are again we're trying to program um the the fifth field there's a new component to all of this which is fascinating and it's hard for me to wrap my head around it i actually i'm not really sure if i 100 percent believe it myself um but the story is, is that Samoya said that the light beings have been telling her that the earth is going through a kind of, the universe is kind of going through a mitosis. So we're moving into um, the fifth field. Well, some what's of us a, what's are. What's a mitosis again? That's like a cell division, right? Okay. So um, there's going to be a different type of world that will be accessible to us. And it's a different, like, I don't know. She calls it the fifth field. Other people call it a dimension, right? I think there's other people that call use other names for it. But um, but basically, you can just imagine that there's one Earth that's going to go and probably decay and die. And then there's another parallel timeline or whatever that is going into the golden age. And so some of us are going to make it and some of us are not. And the light beings want those of us that are ready to go to have the opportunity to like really land with both feet on the other side of this field. It really smacks like that whole Ascension thing. And the the people that have been talking about, you know, the Ascension and all this stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. So the firing of the grid is really about like programming our new reality and just bringing as many um, joys and, and just setting the bar as high as we can for entry into this new um, field. Um, And, uh, and also when we fire the grid, we assist those, that do not really have like the light or the power within themselves to truly like ring the bell of their own, like top of their frequency kind of a thing. Um, Those people can get assistance from the others of us who are firing the grid with them. So it's kind of like, you've got a buddy, you know, the, the, the ship is sinking. You can get into the lifeboat. You've got somebody that is behind you and you can just like grab their hand. They want to go. Right. And, and they have like a good heart and they have, a frequency enough to like realize what's going on and you just give them a lift and get them into the lifeboat. 
And we know that, and we know that emotion plays such a, a huge role in um, in manifesting different paths, or you know, your you know your future. So it makes sense to me on a way that if that many people are in joy, that it could make some changes. Yeah. So is that what it is like a joy meditation then at that time? Yep. And you can do anything. It could be a meditation. It could be, um, you could be dancing. You could be listening to music. You could be walking like whatever it is that, you know, makes oh, your heart sing. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Too. Yeah. Let's, uh, um, we'll talk, well, just mention again, the, the episode before we, before the February 21st, I'll put a reminder out, but I'll put a link in here and notes and all that, uh, for this episode too. Yep. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it doesn't matter how the light being said, it doesn't matter how many people, join right and that if 2,000 people make it into the fifth field or not I don't think that um, it's only going to be 2,000 people I think it's not necessarily everybody that's associated with the fire of the grid they said that the people that can access the fifth field have um, enough of a a high enough frequency that they like feel good most of the time type of thing right like they do not have dense emotions like you know revenge or anger or fear right (laughs) so uh if you're mostly happy most of the time and you can conceive that this could happen then the opportunity when it's presented to you you won't just dismiss it and it will probably look different for a whole bunch of different people yeah but anyways yeah so that's that's the whole basic story and we have a fire the grid coming up on february 21st and on the website firethegrid.world is where you can put yourself on the map there's a cool globe that the people at lightnet the developers there created uh it's really nifty and um you can see where everybody is all over the world the global consciousness network used to have that even like 12 years ago 2010 they'd have this globe spinning around all the people meditating in different parts of the globe oh they did oh really yeah the global consciousness road is that the is that the one with all the eggs uh yeah i think so oh yeah 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 i didn't see that yeah yeah right on well this has been great yeah, thanks for coming on, uh, Celia, and we hope everyone Thank goes you. and checks that out. Of course, shout out to Linda, a big friend of the show, and uh, thanks for coming back on. So, of course, if you guys want to support this uh, show, if you like what we're doing here, if you don't think it sucks, head over to grindamerica.ca slash support today and uh, decide what the 540-some free episodes are worth to you. Have they added any value to your day, to your life, to your commute, to uh, your gym, work day, wherever you're listening? America.ca slash support, sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation today. We would love you for it. Helps us keep going and uh, not have to shut down and go find something else to do. Uh, head over to GrandAmericaOutlaw.ca if you want to check out our other podcast. I think we're like 62 episodes or something like that right now into that. And while we go through the spring here, we're doing dumping two episodes uh, or uh, an extra two episodes a month for a little while here while we get through some extra content. So it's a great time to get that that plus subscription over there, or even just the free show as well. And again, of course, there's the audio books over at Adult Brain, adultbrain.ca. All the different books, Graham's read there. We've got 40 different titles there. There's tons of them, too much to spell it off here. Which was kicked off by Celia's book, right? Oh, was it? Oh, right yeah. on. Yeah, that's right. That was UFO. the first one I mean, you ever I did. I've, I volunteered uh, to do that for you, and it turned into a whole uh, little business here. Yeah, well, you're a natural. You've got a great voice, so I'm oh, glad thanks. that I'm glad you did that for us. Thank what's you. What's the What's the website for that too? That's on YouTube. So you just is go it? to the um, How to See a UFO channel. How to and, see a UFO. Okay. Yeah, and I've got it down there. So okay. Our, our first awesome. video. Right on. And well, what about the buy to buy the book or to? 
Oh, if you want to like get the book, you could buy yeah. it, but you could also download it for free. Um, and it comes in like eight different languages or something now. Like we've translated it. A lot of volunteer translators, and I've paid a few translators to do it. So um, ace5handbook.com. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for. Um, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. I mean, it's it was it's been great, and uh, those books that we've been reading are fantastic too. Some old classics, esoteric titles. So, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, I got Charles Fort's uh, in there, Celia now, and he was talking about UFO sightings in the eighteen hundreds, like tons of UFO sightings. I mean, the astronomers, and I mean, it goes way back. That's like, so cool. Tons of them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Wow. There you right have on. it. Join the chats. America.ca slash chats. All the Discord servers are crashing and burning. We're still alive and well over here at grammarica.ca slash chats. Self-hosted. It's not as flashy, but it works. And uh, get some gear. grammarica.ca slash swag. We've got tons of great gear over there. Check all that out. A big thanks to Celia for coming on the intro. And enjoy this chat with the wonderful Ed Rosenthal. Welcome to Great America. Thanks for spending some time with us. How you doing? Good and happy to be with you. Yeah, you, yeah, it's good to talk to you about all this stuff. We've been talking about you know weed for for years on and off, but it's good to to talk to. Uh, I've know, been talking ganja, about weed the, for decades. The, the ganja <laughs> guru. <laughs> How's it going on the on the weed front these days? Fewer people in prison and more people smoking. That's why we're using yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. And then so many people using it medically. That's really great as well. You know, not just THC, but the other components of uh, of the plant. The prices, yeah. too. I mean, that's been the greatest because here's it came out. And the prices in the store were through the roof, and it's like, oh boy, here we go. But then over okay, the wait, last, you're talking about Canada only, or uh, I think everywhere. I mean, even when I go to Washington now, compared to where it was five years ago, it's or even you know when I first started going to Washington, compared to now, it's dirt cheap. And uh, and and I'm not like using the black market when I'm in the states, just because I'm not down there long enough. If I'm in a certain spot where I know somebody, great. But what the price drop and in Canada it started expensive and now it's dropped down to you can go to the store and you pay eighty or ninety dollars an ounce, and what that's done on the street is just pushed it down to like, you know, I just buy like fucking half pounds now because it's like the same price I used to buy an ounce for when you know fifteen years ago or twelve years ago. So the the thing about that is that when you were buying it twelve or fifteen years ago, there was a shortage of supply and 
you were paying for the for the uh, for the risk that people took the non agricultural risk of arrest and stuff. So you were paying for that. So the prices were high, and as it's become more and more lenient, <coughs> excuse me, or even legal, it becomes more of a commodity. And you don't, you know, you don't hear very many songs about how great it is to be a farmer, but there are a lot of laments. And it's just, and as it becomes a commodity, it is going to be very price conscious. That is, you know, before it didn't matter if production costs were high because the profits were so high, but now that's a real consideration. And so, as you noticed, a lot of big companies have gone out of business because of uh, their own production problems. Well, it's because they didn't realize that you can't just scale it, man. It's not like it's not. And I would argue you can't scale beer or wine either, but, um, you know, clearly you can well, because they're doing it. Well, but Well, I, I, I totally disagree with that. I, when you, if you have an autonomous uh, you, greenhouse, for instance, and what I mean by an autonomous greenhouse or an autonomous grow room, it's where you know the parameters are set and it's it, you know it's controlled by sensors and uh, and the, and algorithms and those parameters. And when you produce plants like that, you can produce the highest quality. Craft can't compare with it and i'll give you an example of it you go into like a box a box store and you see these flowering plants let's say they're little azalea plants or something like that and you look at those plants and you look at them and they all look virtually the same and you may be the very first person if you pick it up to touch that container they were planted robotically, they were transplanted robotically, they were loaded robotically, Rat, the pallets were wrapped and delivered. And then when they were, when they were unwrapped, when the customers bought by them, that's the first time a human hand touches those plants. And if you look at those plants, they're, they're really, you know, if, if you, they're all quality plants. But you look at at the plants at the top qualities that come out of those greenhouses. Oh, and they're sorted by quality as well. So that when you when they're leaving the greenhouse, they're being sorted by quality. So the the best mo, most robust plants go in one with in one group, and then you know there are different grades. And so, but but you get a lot of uniformity that way. And um, and they take um, and it's becoming more of a science. It is just 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 the way people grow tomatoes. I mean, for instance, you know, you may think that when people grow tomatoes, there's no science behind it. But people may not know the science, but they're taking the advice of uh, a lot of re of a lot of written research and so they're using the science of it and that's what's that's what's happening here that's what my book is about by the way which it covers um you know uh, a different for instance a different way of measuring light 
for instance, uh, we talk about uh, DLI, which is daily light integral. And da daily light integral is if you if you if you don't take a snapshot of the light, but you count, but you, if you count all the light that, that hits <clears throat> that uh, that uh, that hits a surface during um, during the day, and you add all of it up over the whole eight hours, second by second, then uh, that's called the daily light integral, and that shows you how much light the plants got got and here's the thing about light light in um growth out because plants take that light and and turn it into uh sugars and then they use those sugars that they produce for growth and what the light does is it it, it this is the uh, light part of photosynthesis. It takes uh, the um, water molecule, you know, and water, water is H2O, you know, right? So it takes that and it breaks it up into oxygen and hydrogen. And the oxygen goes into the air. So that they say, you know, plants clean up the air from clean the air from of CO2 and make oxygen. That's exactly how they do it here. They take that CO2 molecule, they break it up, and then they take the hydrogen atom that, that was released from its partnership with the oxygen, and they combine it with carbon dioxide, which they, uh, which they pull from the air. And uh, they take that uh, they take that carbon dioxide and they put the hydrogen atom on it and that is when there's a group of them that makes sugar or starch and you know all life above ground is based basically based on that like you might be just a meat eater but the herbivore that you're eating was eating a plant so I mean, like a cow. A cow is an herbivore, right? So, if if there weren't plants, a cow couldn't exist. It exists on those plants. So ultimately, it's like it's like uh, it's like turning it's synthesizing the light into food for us at the end of the day. For the whole, it powers the whole world above above ground. In those setups, do you do you guys like if you get in that setup where in that that controlled setup, do pests still show up? You still have a pest problem. Well, here's the thing, you know, pests don't show up. They 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 get into the system somehow, right? Always from outside. Like there's no mechanism where they form within it. Because I mean, those fucking things seem to always show up whenever. Well, having a they, good they might be in, in unsuspect. There's something that you don't suspect. They they might come in and in, you know if you're using a soil that isn't pasteurized, they might come in in the soil. Or so they're coming. There's not you know there isn't spontaneous generation. You know things just don't form. They uh, life just doesn't generate all the time it generate itself all the time 
So it transfers. So, so that pest or that disease had to travel into that space. So there are a number of ways it could travel in. It could travel in by the plant's caretakers. It might come in on, if, if there's an air exchange, it might come in on the air, especially something like thrips. Thrips, when they're juveniles, there's no filter that can really keep them out because it's so tiny. Do you pump carbon dioxide into the into that atmosphere? Well, if you let's say you had a uh, space where you're not exchanging uh, air with the uh, you know with the world, yeah, you would uh, pump in CO two. Can yeah. I just throw a surgical mask on there and good to go? Well, you know, if you're in a small greenhouse, like let's say a hobby greenhouse, nine by twelve greenhouse and you have a CO2 system, you probably have a CO2 regulator. And, you know, you can set the regulator to turn the CO2 on at any, at, at any uh, um, uh, parts per million. So you could actually measure how much CO2 you're producing in that, and because it will noticeably change. It will start going up, you know, if... So the only way you can prevent it from going up when you're in the room is stop breathing. What's the optimal you setting? Is- you stop breathing, won't, won't affect it. What? I'm sorry? What's the optimal setting for CO2 in a space like that? It really depends on how much light you're giving it. Okay, so let's... So the, more light, the more light that it gets the more CO2 it can use. So you the should adjust that? So you, you'd adjust that when you went from veg to flower? Well, a lot of people think that plants don't need, that, um, that plants, well, let me put it a different way. Plants, it's true that in veg, you can grow plants, um, you can grow you can grow plants at lower light levels, but if if you're doing production and you're considering the cost of everything, the cost of the land, the greenhouse, the workers, and you know all that stuff, or your own production. I mean, you know, am I going to get a little out of this, or am I going to get more? So if you're if you're in a space where you're providing elect- electricity, or even if you're in a greenhouse and just providing supplemental electricity, you want, you could bring the light levels way up. And as you bring the light levels up, you're going to get up to twelve to fifteen hundred parts per million of CO two. Wow! So a lot. Yeah, but you you know how that happened. You. You know how my plants can use that? You want to hear about it? Yes. Okay. So before there were plants, there were these organisms that uh, were photosynthesizing. They were like bacteria or so, something similar to it. And they and uh, um, there were these other organisms, which turned out to be plants, that would gobble them up. And at some point, 
um, some of these organisms that got gobbled up, instead of being digested, they took cover and they they took the the cell's environment as their home and start and the cell started giving them the nutrients that they needed and they produced the sugars that the plants could use that the cell could use so the plant didn't have to go out and uh, find food somewhere it didn't have to do what animals do you know we can't you know we can't live without food but plants produce their own food when people say they're feeding the plants nutrients they're just providing the um, like the equivalent of the vitamins that we that we use, but they don't. Um, but but most of the tissue that plants make, they actually make these sugars, and then they turn the sugars into um, tissue, into flesh, and bark, and all, everything else. But it all comes from that photosynthesis. The whole up, up, the, the reason why I say that everything above ground is that you know in the deep sea there are these organ and in hot pools there are these organisms that live uh, on the minerals in the water, and they're not using anything that's a result of photosynthesis in order to to uh, live, live and metabolize. Is that why for a while there they thought that there was spaces, spots where they, there could be no life, and then they found this life without light underneath there pretty, well, pretty recently, like a couple decades ago? Yeah, and in hot pools also. You know, these hot pools like these sulfur pools and things, there, there is life in there. And, uh, you know, that, that was probably what early life on Earth might have looked like because that's... There was more of that than anything else. Like the ones at Yellowstone. Yes. Yeah, and then those ones at those like deep sea volcanic vents and stuff like that. Okay. Exactly. Well, before yeah. we get go too far, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the Ganja Guru when I had him here. So what is the like, because I hear so much, so many different things about that veg cycle. Is it better to be doing 24 hours a day of leg? Because I'm up north, so if I'm looking at doing it, I'm just going to get a tent again. And I think the problem I had last time, because it's like the light cycle here is crazy, it's not long enough in the summer to get into flower. Well, here's one. You have, you have several solutions to that. One, one is to grow autoflowers. I did that. Now, I tried some autoflowers this year, and the problem I – I just found they they came out a little small. And then the problem I had with the tent was I just can't, because it's very dry here. Yeah. So I had a humidifier going, but then I had my my 400-watt HPS in there, and it's heating the thing up so much that I got to suck the air out of there so fast that I can't keep the the – the moisture up the anyway. Moisture. And then, then I'm like, how could I ever add carbon well, to Well, here's what I would do. I, I would get rid of the HPS. I would put in an, an LED in its place, a high-quality LED. That's one. Is there a brand you recommend? Or you like? Uh, well, the ones that are really hot now are Fluent, Fossey, uh, but there are others, California Light. 
you know, in the book, we actually uh, show the the, uh, the light is counted in a, in something called joules, which is the amount of light falling on an area at, at a, over a certain time period. So it actually, uh, in the book, we show what the, the different companies, what, what the different lights put out. It, and, and it varies. Like it, some, some lights put out twice as much as others. I mean, per what? And the thing is that you, what you want to do is you want to uh, get that, you, um, you want to get that up. Uh, so you have your, let's say you're growing, let's say you wanted to grow outdoors. You're up in Canada, right? Yeah, we're just outside of Calgary, Alberta. Well, what I would do is I would start the plants indoors and then take them outside and cover them and start covering them in mid-July. So you're going to, or in the beginning of July, and you're going to take them out at the beginning of September. And the plants won't be that big, they won't be as big, but you know, you can, plants vary in the amount of, um, the amount that they grow after, uh, after they start flowering. And some of them will, will double in size. So you want to get a plant that, you know, has a little bit of sativa in it, just a little bit. And, and so that you could grow it outdoors that way by covering it. The other thing is to find a plant that flowers, that isn't auto flowering, but flowers if, if it has more, more than... Um, if it has uh, uh, more than, uh, rather less than like six hours of darkness, so that so that the plant, uh, the what will happen is that uh, uh, you would put lights on, you would flash lights in the middle of the dark cycle once a night. You flashlights. You could do it on a timer, so that it wakes the plants up, gets gets the plants starting the count again, and the plants will continue growing. Then, as soon as you want them to flower, you just uh, turn the lights off, and the plants will flower. How long would you flash them for? Ten seconds, a minute. As soon as it hits the plant, the light hits the plant, it changes this chemical back to its active form, which keeps the plant from flowering. And then it starts, the plant starts to count over again. Interesting, but it still needs that light in order to create the flower. Well, this is, this is, I'm saying, let's say, Let's say you're giving the plants 12 hours of darkness mm-hmm. and 12 hours of light every day, right? If you flash the light in the middle of the dark cycle for most plants, you know, for most uh, cannabis plants, if you flash the light in the middle of the cycle, the, the, it would stop the plants from flowering. You'd only have to flash it for momentarily. And what it does is it changes this phytochrome back to the active cycle, which keeps plants from flowering. 
So then would you change the light cycle back to the veg cycle or would you just keep flashing that, that it? Is. That's that that's a veg cycle. That is just so then you just flash it every day. Yeah. But that's a veg cycle because what you're keeping the plants growing vegetatively by not allowing them long enough un this is a key word, uninterrupted dark cycle. Because if you interrupt the dark cycle you start to count over again. So it's the same as doing like an 18 and 6, really. The plant doesn't yeah. know the difference. Yeah. And so so let's say, let's say you're, I'll give you an example. What you're, would the benefit of that be, though? Well, well, look, let's say you're in an equatorial area, or let's say, like I work in Jamaica. And in oh, Jamaica, the, different, the difference in light cycle between light and dark is the, the greatest difference, you know, uh, is 14 and 10. Either 14 and 10 light, 14 and 10 dark. It's either way. So anyway, you don't, let's say you're growing some plants and you don't want them to flower right away. You want them to grow a little larger. Well, most plants that we grow, you know, varieties that we have, would, would immediately start flowering under those conditions. Yeah. Right, but if you flash that light in the middle, in the middle of the dark cycle, it keeps them in vegetative. Right. So then you just stop flashing them when you want them to flower. Boom. And then they so go in, bigger. In Canada, we have the opposite problem where it's bright for too fucking long. So, like, even by September, when we hit yeah. September, well, what, that's why you have to do light depth. You know about light depth, right? No. No. Okay. So like that. So let's say you you had either row covers or a greenhouse that had these shade cloths in them that prevented light from getting into them. Right? Yeah. It's in the book, by the way. It's in Cannabis Growers Handbook. Look, I have a copy of it right here. We'll have to order a copy. I thought we had a copy, but Graham says you, we don't. You don't have it. You'll get a copy. You don't have to order it. Okay. 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 But this is a book. But in, and in this book, this is um, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about the book right now. But in that book, it talk it talks all about uh, all, how to manipulate the plants that way. But what, so light that, and it has examples of it. And with light deprivation, here's what happens: the plant uh, you uh, you want only want the plant to get 12 hours of light, right? Right. So you wanted to get the best 12 hours, right? So you count from around noon and you count backwards like to six, six hours eight, each way. Six hours, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You get the brightest six hours, right? And, you know, there are all kinds of charts on the internet so you can find that stuff. Okay. So for your, you can find it for your particular area, not in general, but you can find specifically for your latitude. So anyway, so um, so what happens is um, you're either going to shade the plant, stop the plant from getting light in the morning or the evening. And I say it's easier to do it in the morning. So you let the plant the plant go through sunset, right? 
And then at your leisure in the evening, you put on the curtains, right? But let's say nine o'clock, well, where you are, let's say even nine o'clock, right? You put the curtains on at nine. And then you take them, uh, uh, or any time after nine, you... Let me think about your... So you figure out what the last... When sunset is in your area. Let's say, like when I was up in Vancouver, I remember in early summer uh, swimming in the pools there. Right? So so let's say sunset's at, not, at 9 p.m., right? Yeah. Then any time after 9 p.m., you put the curtains on, and so that it, you know the white black plastic panda plastic. Yeah, you could use those and co- cover them that way. You know, and then, um, then you leave the covers on until nine a.m. Then peel them off. Right, and they get twelve hours of light. How dark does that have to be then? Does it have to be pitch black or is like, you know, like just. You, want it, you, want, you really want it. It does, eh? Because. You really want it dark. But people do it all the time. And, you know, if you buy a greenhouse, most greenhouses have provisions where you can put, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, the, the shade, shade curtains in them. That's what I would need to do is just invest in a greenhouse then because that is the problem here is I'd need to start flowering them sooner. The spring's beautiful. I could get them nice and big, but then it doesn't get down to 12 and 12 to like September and then it's like winter and October. You could could probably flower them before before July 1st. Yeah, especially if I started them like next week in the house. Yeah, if you started them indoors and then put them out, and then flower them July 1st, they'll come in, you'll be harvesting September 1st. And here's the other thing, you know, the the light will be more intense. Like, let's say you harvest them September 1st rather than October 1st, right? The light will be more intense. It will have more UV light. Now, I know that you don't get a lot of UV light in Canada, but you do get some, you know, near the border. You get like four, like four out of ten. So, and that will increase the quality of your bud too. And so, you'll be getting that light during their flowering cycle. So, it will increase the quality of the buds. Then, would you throw some LEDs on the side in there as well, or is the sunshine really sort of the best medicine? Do you remember I was talking about the DLI? Yeah, daily light integral, which counts all the light. Yeah the cumulative amount of light that the plants have gotten, right? You know, we do that too. You know what? You go to the beach and your skin counts how much light it got. You get too much light, it tells you, oh, you went over the limit, right? That's right. Yeah. So so you count how much light the plants got. And then you could have a sensor that is sensing how much light the plants are getting and that turns on the light, turns the lights on and off depending when they're getting light. So 
it, it will even turn them on when there's um, a cloud passing through, or you know, uh, you might have supplemental lighting during the during the morning and the evening, but you'll have enough light during the day. So it would be best to be able to use a sensor and develop a DLI from that, you know, so that you you get supplying the plants with as much light as uh, you can. And I know that electricity is pretty cheap up in Canada, so it, so it really pays to do that because you're saying you look everything else costs the same. So if you're paying money for electricity, but it's increasing the value of the space and the work and any work that you do because the plants are growing faster and growing bigger. So for the cost of electricity, you get a higher yield. That's, that's the main, that, that and uh, nutrients are the two main variables. Well, let's go to that next. Do you, do you have a, a line of nutrients or anything you recommend? No, there's there are a lot of good there are a lot of good lines. I would first of all, you don't necessarily need a a, a um, cannabis cannabis centric um, fertilizer. There are a lot of different fertilizers and good fertilizers. And the main thing on fertilizer packages is there are three numbers on every fertilizer package. And that stands for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And that the, the fertilizers have to have a minimum of, of that, the numbers there. And if you'll notice it, a lot of the uh, marijuana fertilizers have very low numbers, except when it comes to the uh, price. And uh, you can get the same thing or, you know, similar fertile, you know, similar nutrients nutrient formulations at a much lower price. And uh, basically, most most, grow, most growers who are growing large commercial grows, they, they've drifted away from the brands. Do you, do you guys think that now, like we mentioned at the beginning, where the price is, it's interesting to know why the price has come down so much. Like there's less risk now. People are, you know, people are doing it. It's kind of more more um, production out there. There's more supply for the demand. Um, is it worth doing it on your own even? Or is there a minimum quantity that kind of, like if you're looking at just cost-wise, well, here's minimum a, here's quantity that would be worth getting into? Because it seems to me like, it, like Darren's buying these big bags now. I mean, is that... Even worth his effort, or well, well, here's the, maybe, maybe not. But here is here there are other considerations. You may want to grow a variety. You may want to consume a variety that's not not in favor at the retail market. Right. right. And also, the second thing is that um, the, you're he's in one area where the prices have come down so much. But in other areas, on a retail level, they haven't come down as much. So even if it doesn't pay to do it on a wholesale level, if if the alternative is buying at retail, 
it might still pay to do it because it's a different economic group of economic considerations. Then there's the thing that not everybody has easy access to it. Yeah. Or you might want to know what actually goes into your stuff because, you know, I, I, I'm always shocked when I hear about uh, these insecticides that people use. Now, in California, everything has to go through inspection. So, uh, you know, everything has to get tested. So you don't have that. You don't have that as much. But if, they're, if people think that they're selling, going to be selling on the alternative market, they don't have that consideration. So yeah, the, so you you think there's still a risk out there with buying it on the black market too, where it's just get they use a bunch of. Ideally, you want to be growing your own. I mean, my whole thing is I just don't have the time. Once I get into your situation, like Graham's situation, where he's just doing the podcast, then because I mean, like, I think you need an hour a day, right? Unless you've got it fully automated. Uh, I I don't think so. Uh, for instance. The more time that you spend in your garden, the more likely you are to infect it. <laughs> and the more times that you go into your garden, the more likely you are to infect it. So, but uh, I'm going to give you one method that, you know, I, I use this method all the time, okay? Because I'm not saying... I'm not saying that it will beat other methods in productivity, but you mentioned something else, time and labor, right? Okay. So, you know the uh, hydroton, you know those little pebbles? Yeah. Oh, first of all, I use this for pot. I use this for my tomatoes, cucumbers, you know, all my vegetables. So... So you have, so, um, so I have a, so I take the, I take, um, I use uh, these um, uh, grill containers that, you know, have big open spaces so roots can grow out of them. So when I do transplanting, I'll transplant to a big, I'll take the whole container with the roots and everything and put it into the next size container. But I use hydroton. And what I do is I have this container and it sits on a tray, on a platform over a tray. And in that tray, it's, it, it's, the deeper it is, the better. Mine's are, mine are about six inches deep, like a four foot by eight foot tray. And I put, uh, I fill that with water. That's 128 gallons of water in a four by eight tray. So it's filled with nutrient water. And the plants are sitting on a platform and they have nylon wicks that go to the bottom of the go from the bottom of the container into the water. And then I have a little pump. I bought it on the internet very easy by they're very inexpensive, like $5 or something. Uh, and it literally, it's literally that price. I'm not talking about, oh, you go and it's $20. It's really literally $5. And it pumps 65 gallons an hour. And it's sitting in that tray. And it pumps the water from that tray 
into the containers and the water trickles down from the containers into the tray. Now, unless you're doing something with the plants, like staking them or put, putting them on, you know, or doing something to them, schwazing them or something like that, unless you're doing something like that, there's no reason for you to be in the room. So you just go in and fill up that tray once in a while? Well, here's the other thing. If you wanted to totally automate it, you could use something like a dram thing and have a, a float valve and just keep that tray filled. And you wouldn't have to go into the room for weeks at a time. Yeah, well, even with the 128 gallon, I mean, if you had 10 plants running off that and it's recycling everything that drips back in, you probably only have to fill it up once a week. Right, right. Well, you know So what? now that's okay you for know, them like, to be like, getting... Why to, like, I have these tomatoes. In fact, they, they're still growing in my... That's a whole other story. You should have me on for a half hour sometime talking about what I do with these tomatoes. But very briefly, I keep the water really warm. And they say don't have warm water because it doesn't hold oxygen. That's absolutely true. But, you know, I'm using that hydroton. So there are big, which are those clay pebbles. So they... There's big spaces, air spaces between the pebbles. And when the water goes down, trickles down, it has a venturi effect. It pulls the air down with it. So I don't have to worry that the water doesn't have a lot of air. And that keeps the, the roots warm. And you know how if you keep your feet warm, you, your body stays warmer? And the same thing. And so I have the tomatoes in this teepee that I made out of plastic and uh, some cup, some four, uh, two by fours. And uh, so they're in the, that tray with the heated water that's trickling and it's trickling down and they're still producing tomatoes. My feet are in a foot warmer Outside. right now. Outside. I mean, you know, this is not indoors. This is outdoors. Now, you wouldn't be able to do it. You don't get enough light, you know, during these months. Yeah, that's the problem. And it's cold yeah, as you wow. But if you, right. Yeah. And yeah, it's too cold. Well, do you have a, what's a good strain? What's a good strain for a, a beginner strain that's sort of easy to grow and not too intricate and uh, kind of quick flowering? I know some of them take like 14 weeks. Well, I, I hate to recommend a particular strain for your area because, you know, there are a lot of local seed companies and they're, go, they're growing strains that have been you know, adapted to your area, to your area, so that it would be best to find out what, you know, what's available in the area, because no matter how good something is, if we're talking about outdoors, it's no good if it doesn't, if it, you know, if it, you don't harvest it, you know, so, so you want something that's really adapted indoors. Um, like, I'm working with variants on uh, on Jack, you know, the old Jack. Jack Hare? 
Yeah. And, um, and you know, many, many years ago, I gave Neville some seed. And he worked on it for a little while, but it was difficult seed to work with. It had a lot of interesting things about it. But then Sensi started working, Sensi Seed started working on it, and they, then they put it out. And it was popular for a while, but then it it wasn't pop, it's lost popularity. And it's a super bud. And the thing about that I like about the super bud is that it's a very up high. I mean, not nervous up, just, you know, like feeling good. Like uplifting. a headband? Up, uplifting. You know, like you feel good. So, and the other thing is in my area, which is uh, Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, it comes in September 14th. Oh, so it comes good. in way ahead. Weather here starts in October, you know, bad weather. So it comes in before the bad weather. So I like that a lot. Is that your preference still, outdoor to indoor? I, I like I like it all, but I'll tell you what I don't like outdoor from cold climates, which is harvested late. Oh, it gets weird, so, right? Because it gets too cold. It, well, it messes with the plant. You know, it messes with the buds. So, so I, so, for instance, I was talking about this plant that comes in September fourteenth. That's fine in my area where you are. You want some. You want to harvest before August twentieth. Okay. By September first. So you want to plan light deprivation or anything. You know whatever you're going to do to do it, but you want those plants uh, cut by September 1st because the amount of light that they get goes down so precipitously after August 15th in your area. So, you know, September 1st is the last, uh, you know, that that should be the end. If you could get it in earlier, that would be good. And the only way to do it uh, outdoors is um, with light deprivation. What the, if, you're, if, if you're not using um, supplemental um, or no, no. If if you're not using um, um, the auto flowers, the only way to do it is with light deprivation. What about um, what about trying to do it indoor on a good thing? You just get some. I guess if I tried some LEDs, that would be the the difference because my main problem last time was heat from that from that HPS light in the tent. Well, go go get an air conditioner. Yeah, then do a whole room. Do you think, or get one of those tents that they're selling all over the place? That, that's up to you. Let's do. Let's light up your whole basement, Graham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was what was. Grab America, grow up. Grab America, grow up. You know, uh, really early on, I uh, I was visiting this grower who was growing in his basement, and what he did is he actually <laughs> to to make you know this was his solution to growing in the basement. 
he actually broke through the cement in the basement and um, filled and dug out what what was underneath and filled it with um, with planting mix and those were his containers. Ooh, that's wow. clever. I've never seen that again. That was the only, yeah. one and only time. Until the groundwater comes up and just floods. It's, it's well, it dep- I guess it depends on. where you are. If you if you're on a hill, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so I guess you've been in the game a long time. How much has it changed? That's kind of what well, I was going to ask: is what it's what's because it like he, for you? I nowadays? mean, it must have started. Well, there's a lot more knowledge now, you know, and a lot more, you know. Every, like the first thing that things, the first lights that everybody started with was uh, fluorescence, you know, and Ooh. then it went from there. And I, we, my uh, writing partner and I, we were using these uh, VHL fluorescents. And let me, did, did you ever go to um, like a gas station and you looked up and there were these fluorescents and they were lighting up the gas station? Yeah. You, they don't use them anymore, but but they did. You know, and they like buzzed, they, right? Sometimes they would, yeah. So those were VHL fluorescents, very high output, and they uh, uh, eight, instead of using seventy-two watts the way a normal fluorescent, they would use two hundred fifteen watts, which is about three times. So you put a group of them, you put a group of them up, you know, like with reflectors. Um, uh, on a four by eight, I mean you, you you're gonna get a bright light, right? I mean it's and lots of like heat, ma- no, or what? Lots of heat too, no. Well, well, the- remember here's the thing about heat: watts equals heat. So, like, um, so a thousand watts of LED, a thousand watts of fluorescent, or a thousand watt HPS emit the same amount of heat. Actually, they don't because, like, um, they also have their um, drivers, you know, or ballast and things, but approximately. But so a thousand watts is a thousand watts, no matter what the light source is. So, yeah, they did, they did produce a lot of heat, and they produced more heat per watt because they only produced about 90 uh, lumens per watt. So that that's very that's very small as compared with um, uh, an HPS, which is about a hundred thirty five hundred thirty lumens, and then the LEDs. It's hard to equate them in the same way because they're putting in a very uh, specialized light that the plants can absorb. Right, right. So yeah, yeah it's important that- to get those specialized LEDs. You can't just grab any LED off the shelf. Well, white white LEDs are RGB. So, so if you see a white LED, it, it actually has um, three colors, and it. It, you could break it down. It has three colors: red, green, and bra- blue. Red, no? red, green, and blue. So, you can use use a fluorescent. I would say that the most important thing, I mean, uh, LED, the most important thing in LEDs is the joules per watt. That's a measure of light that the plants put out. And what measure of light do they put out? 
Uh, and they vary tremendously. And then in the beginning, it must have been super illegal still, too, right? Illegal? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, it just yeah. must have been so much different when you're, like, hiding out and not talking about I, it. I compared never hid. I never hid. Was it you always know, pretty open? I wrote the book, I still grew. In California, has it always been yeah. pretty open your whole life? Well, well, uh, I moved here when I was 30. And, and like, California was just different, you know. Was it just different? Where'd you the, move from? Uh, the Bronx. Oh, wow. Okay, oh, so right from the east to the west, yeah. Yeah. So what about the cultural change now and, and with, with the weed and, like, the last five years? I mean, there's so much has happened over the last five, seven years kind of thing. I mean, what's it like for you to see that big change? Well, it's, it's very satisfying. I mean, like, I gave up, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be getting back. See, uh, like, um, uh, after the Vietnam War, I was involved with the, you know, like, uh, somewhat with the anti-war movement. So after the war, I thought, realized that, you know, the U.S. is really a fucked up country. I mean, and, you know, it's still coming out how messed up it is racially and, um, you know, like, it's so warlike. I mean, you know, as compared with uh, where you're living, uh, Darren, it, you know, like, and this is, it, this is a country addic addicted to war. It's had so many wars, it, it, and now it's warring on itself. And um, so I thought, well, if I get into pot, I mean, if we made pot legal and more people used pot, it would be a better environment, you know, and, uh, politically. Well, that part of my dream has not turned out that way because, you know, um, in Oklahoma, which may have the most liberal growing laws and laws in the country, commercial laws, $2,500 in a lease and you're in business, you know, so, uh, so they, um, voted 70% for, for the marijuana laws and 69% for, for Trump. So the, they, so there had to be a whole bunch of people who voted both for Trump and for pot. And I thought Trump's the antithesis of pot, you know, but, Fool that I was, that's what I thought. So, so I think anyway, we need mushrooms. I think we need something stronger. <laughs> yeah, well, now that legalizing that, maybe that will help. Maybe, maybe they'll all take mushrooms and say, let's get them. You know, could be, <laughs> you know, you know, that guy, the shaman, the, the uh, January 6th shaman, the guy with the horns. Did you, uh, did you notice what he was, what his tattoo was on his bare stomach? No, it, it 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 was a twelve a twelve inch gland. A penis? No, I'm talking oh. about no, no. You know, like the, the mushroom trichome, uh, yeah. a twelve oh. inch trichrome, uh, trichome. Just, just oh yeah, well he, you'll see it. You'll see it. That it's dude is like there. he's what? a he's like a wannabe actor trying to get discovered. 
Like he was down, he got himself in trouble down at some uh, climate change rally too. I think that guy was just like going places, trying to get on TV. No, he's he going just, places. He's going oh yeah, he, he flew a little. Forty-one months, you know. Flew a little but too anyway, close to the sun. You know. So anyway, so that you know, um, that was like. So here are these rabid uh, white nationalists using pot. Not what I expected from it all, but so I gave you know I gave up my um, my uh, career temporarily just f- for a few years to make pot legal, and now now that it's legal, uh, I'm going to go back and um, I, I'm uh, trying to decide whether I'm going to um, go uh, back to Wall Street or wh- where I used to work. Well, I mean, when I say that, I don't mean I'd go back to New York, but figuratively, or whether I'm going to go from, uh, whether I'm going to take the LSAT. So 30 years later? What? 30 years later? It's longer than that. 40 years? Longer than that. (laughs) You look, maybe you could just. Good for your age. Maybe you could. I mean, you know, like, well, you know, like, because I just did this temporarily. Till it became legal, and now yeah, but it's not. But you're legal. not finished your work yet, though. I mean, federally doesn't legal. Go, doesn't it have to go? Yeah, doesn't have to go federally because I mean, you want well, other other people. I mean, you uh, other people sides. are doing a much better job at it than I could possibly do. Like Steve D'Angelo with his last prisoner project. You know, he was a yippie. Also, he was another generation of yippies. We knew we've known each other for forty years or more. Because, I mean, you want this across the political spectrum, right? I mean, you want everybody, you don't want this to be a... a No, I I want it, no, no, I don't. I want it to change people to, like, to people to break out of the boxes that they've learned to think in and to break out of that box, to smash that box and say no more war. You know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the U.S. has done war for too long and done hate and, and all of that stuff. So you're on the brink well, I mean, of war I right now that, as we no, speak. No, I, I don't I don't want I I'm not looking for Trumpites to to use pot. I'm looking to use pot as a means of enlightenment and and be conservative conservative politics in the United States certainly interferes with enlightenment. Well, both sides right now. I mean, it looks like Biden's yeah, going to start a yeah. war next week. So, I mean, yeah, you can, I mean everyone the, could use some. It's uh, the same. Never, it's the U.S. Same. has never seen a war that, it, you know, hey, yeah. maybe we can produce some more weapons, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the one thing that never seems to change no matter who's in charge is uh, they can find some place to send some fucking bombs. Even when they're pretending that they're not at war, they just. Supplement countries that are at war. You know, I've um, come up to Vancouver for vacations, and uh, there's this uh, woman that I uh, that we visit with sometimes, who uh, used to live in the states, and she moved to Canada, um, like um, in the in the nineties, I think. And I understand exactly why she got out of the states. It is. It's 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 um it's not a it's not a healthy place to bring up human beings or to for human beings to live in. It, it's 
like the politics here is toxic and the um, and the government I mean the uh, it's fascination with war and with dictators you know yeah, that's unfortunately, not the people, though, yeah. man, that's not the people. That's the corporations and the government. I mean, yeah, well, 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 that might be, but you know what? They don't care what you think as long as they can control the government, right? And that's what you know. That's what. That's the problem we're facing it's here going, now. Too. It's not going to stop as long as people don't see that, right? And you know, uh, look, look at. The majority of white voters voted for Trump. Yeah, but maybe that there's reasons that you guys don't realize why they voted for him, right? Because the system was so broken, they thought this was a change. Well, you know, they thought they're well, having troubles with their, you know, all the jobs are gone, man. That they think that this is a big change. I mean, we forget well, they, what it was like before Trump was in. It was a well, it, it, to the common. Well, wait a second. I forget what it was like. Yeah, we, we had seven years of economic growth under uh, under Obama. We had a government that was addressing, to some extent, the environment. I mean, I'm not saying that I liked Obama. You know, like his foreign policy still sucked. But so what? 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 What did I forget about? All the jobs that went to China. No, how, no, but we were running in full employment. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we were running in full employment. Yes, we were under under Obama. We were running at full employment. Well, we're and, not going to see. And the jobs that went to China, though, you know, you're right. A lot of those jobs should come back here. But you know what happens if we bring those jobs back here? We are already seeing it. We don't have enough workers. We already have a shortage of workers. So the only you want workers, the way to do it, you know what I would do is, um, you know, NAFTA, where U.S., Canada, and Mexico, I would go with NAFTA the way and also with some of the uh, Central American countries, the way that Europe did, uh, you know, the uh, economic zone and then uh, the EU. And what they did, they had this really poor country coming in, Greece, for instance. And they said, you know what, every year you have to increase your weight, like this is what we would say to Mexico. Every year you have to increase your wages by a certain percentage till they're the same wages as in the U.S. and in Canada, and raise those wages and and have a unified economy of the three countries, and that that's how I that and you know what? Then people could come up here to work, and they could would go back down to Mexico because they wouldn't have to worry about the border crossing. And yet, I mean, arguably, they could be doing that on some level with China right now, too, but they're just not well, interested in empowering people. Uh, I will tell you something. That's the one thing that I, th- I, I was, I worked for a company for a year and they sent me to China and uh, for, uh, uh, for three weeks. And I got a view of China. And I will say this 
That's one thing that I agree with Trump. We have to take our manufacturing back from China and bring it back to the U.S. I do agree. But like you that. said, it might be too late, right? I mean, people I don't think it's. To, I don't think people it's too don't want to work, but people don't want to work anymore. No, no, so. it's not that people don't want to work. It's that there's more opportunity here than ever, and we don't have enough workers. And when we ch- chase. The Mexicans out, you know, who are coming in out, they didn't, they weren't coming here to get on welfare rolls or anything. They were coming to work, right? When we chase them out, that's why, uh, that's why we have a, a shortage. They were, yeah. they were a big part of the, um, of the, uh, of the workforce. Yeah. Well, Graham and I might come down, so maybe we can get some jobs and help out because we're not super thrilled with how things are going in Canada these days either. Yeah. Well, you weren't like it a lot worse here. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we could just start our own country someplace. (laughs) We'll just take, you know what? You know what? I look at Canada and, and I, I know that Canada has its problems and it's, it's done some things that, um, you know, we look at it and they it shouldn't have done them. But, you know, like, I think that to a great extent, Canada faces like its negativity and de- it tries to deal with it. And it certainly d- doesn't invade countries, uh, you know. Well, you de- know we definitely don't do you know, that. So, so I was in Portugal and right at, you know, the, you know Vasco da Gama was the first Portuguese explorer to go into the Indian Ocean, but also he started the slave trade. He brought slaves back to Europe and to port, basically to Portugal, and it made Portugal very, very it made Portugal very, very rich. And this guy, you could call him the last crusader. He hated Muslims so much he would sink a ship rather than he was like a privateer. But if it was a Muslim ship, he would sink it rather than take its booty and let it go. He didn't want the booty. He just, you know, wanted to kill Muslims. He was a terrible guy. So he launched from Lisbon to go down the coast of Africa. And at that same point... There's the maritime museum. There's the Mar- the memorial, military memorial museum. Now I never went into the museum, but on the outside of the museum, there's this wall, and it's sort of like the Vietnam Wall in uh, in uh, in Washington D.C. It has the names of everybody who was killed in the war. The U.S. service people who were killed in the war. In Vietnam. Well, that has all the that has all the Portuguese soldiers who were killed since 1950, and it's a long wall, and it stops with 1976 because there were no Portuguese soldiers killed once Portugal left Macau and um, Malta. No, and what? No, I I was thinking the, of- and and uh, an African country, right? It's near Morocco. What? Morocco. No, it's near the no. tip of South, South Africa. It's near South Africa. But once they left 
those two colonies, there have been no Portuguese soldiers killed. And, yeah, man, uh, we're all for we're all for the non-intervention and the and the anti-war yeah. for sure. It's just not. Yeah. It's just like it's just beyond politics now. That's all. I just don't like the right and left of it because the war is happening no matter who's in power. It's just well, you know, it's well, corporations and the well, well, money and politics. That, that's why you know, and the one thing that's the one thing that uh, where there was a major difference between Bernie Sanders and the uh, other candidates. And look what happened to Bernie. Well, well, you know, he got burned. (laughs) He got burned. I mean, he was there. He was there. He was the 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 guy. He had too much, too much attention. Too many people loved him and they, they shut him down. I mean, this is how, how bad it is. I like Bernie. But I mean, I think there's still a long way to go with, with weed and mushrooms. I mean, I, I saw I was listening to the show talking about how they thought the Viking, the berserkers from the Viking days that, some people think they were high on psilocybin and different types of mushrooms. And they, they said they did a test on that and people couldn't get violent on it. Like they weren't, it wasn't causing violence. So they're thinking if, you know, if people had these mushrooms, they wouldn't be fighting with each other so much. I think you can get well, you, Look, you have that, you have these big marijuana events and you don't see fights. No. Dude, I remember when we were in the 80, when we were in the eighties, me and my friends would get pretty high on weed, and we were always wondering how how different we were with with that than getting drunk. Right? We are. It yeah. was always a disaster getting drunk, and we thought, why is this legal? This is back in the eighties, and why is this not legal? And we always thought that was so strange, you know that. And this was well, you know, you, years ago, you know. Um, I think that society is beginning to recognize that and, um, you know, to recognize that, mar- that marijuana is a much um, sweeter euphoria than alcohol. Absolutely. Now, you know, in a way, um, you know, I read a number of studies on, al- on, um, on this one particular thing. Like, let's say you're having a creative meeting, right? And you're all sitting around having a creative meeting. If you take one drink of alcohol, you know, like one, one shot, one, one shot, one yeah, yeah, and just that, you get more done in the creative realm. But you take two shots, that's over. <laughs> that we no, we but used to call, the, no, no, the, we used to call it. We we had a two to seven. It was the two to seven buzz. It would be after your second your second drink to the seventh. You'd have you'd be in this sort of this buzz. And that's right. what you're talking about. It becomes unproductive at that point. Yeah, but the first one, but yeah, you know, well, they, you know, why alcohol? You know, why? Because life was so miserable. You wanted what you know, like a lot of it, all of our culture, you know, has been affected by past culture, and life was so miserable. Even a even two two centuries ago, if you go back to the nineteenth century and you see how miserable life was, no electricity until the, until the last portion of the century. Uh, virtually all, you know, um, there were windmills and things like that. Like, like, let's go to the 1850s. There were windmills, there were locomotives, 
there were some things, but life was so hard. You know, I would have been blind because I had uh, uh, cataracts and, you know, got new lenses, right? I would have been blind. I had I had a hernia when, it, you know, uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, it doesn't matter when. But that could have killed me from strang- from uh, strangulation. I had appendicitis, appendicitis in the 19th century. That that was totally dangerous, and you know, and right, life was so rough. You know, when the only power that you had was wind power, animal power, and human power, and there wasn't any electricity. You know. And then the you good go old, back, the good old days. You, you know, like uh, so. Um, so my friend who was working on his his Victorian house, and he was painting it, and so he was giving it the first good paint job that it had had in a number of years. And what he was doing was pulling out, you know, and replacing certain planks and things. And the planks, the original planks that were in there, they were, they were, uh, the nails that they used for them, they were these square nails. And it was before they had wire nails. Those nails were cast. You imagine casting, casting casting nails. I mean, just when you think of the hardships, uh, like, uh, um, so, uh, um, when people wanted to paint their houses in the 19th century, they formulated the paint. Yeah. With some dandelions or some shit. Well, uh, these compounds that contained lead. Oof. That's why old houses all have lead in them. It's it's from the old paint jobs. What do you what do you think about uh, just getting back to marijuana for a sec? And uh, I mean, especially now that it's it's you know there's it's recognized as something very healing. It's good for people's yeah. anxiety. It's good for them sleeping. Is there a risk of addiction still? And people kind of getting this and maybe not uh, happening so quick, but over time that they get use it as a crutch. Is there a way that people should watch? Out how they well, use it. Well, what if they use it as a crutch? Yeah, I'm not I'm asking. Does that make them dysfunctional? I don't know. It could it could end up ruining their lives if they not. Well, control, right? you know a lot of people whose lives were ruined by marijuana? Uh no, a few. There came close, yeah. But probably, you know, you might not hang around with them, but they're a lot more with alcohol, right? Yeah, yeah, to- no, totally. I'm just wondering, like, because no. I do know, I know people that were not really into it, and then now they're just, you know, they're using it all the time for anxiety. So, but, which is- but look, if, uh, but if they're functioning in society, yeah, it doesn't matter whether they use it. That's it doesn't make them happy. That's what I'm asking. I don't know. Well, if it makes them happy, why shouldn't they use it? Now, you, you wouldn't say that about cocaine or alcohol yeah you wouldn't say that about crack or you wouldn't say it about cocaine or something because there you're talking about ruination and um and uh dysfunctional 
situations, right? Yeah, completely different. But the dysfunctional situations usually that you have with marijuana was family acceptance. People were thrown people thrown out of their houses, you know, it's, by their family yeah, or, or losing their professional licenses, you know, uh, because of the conviction or you can't teach anymore. You smoked marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know? it's an acceptance. So, that, that, so I'd say that those were the main things rather than like, you know what, I, as I said, I only use marijuana when I'm alone or with people. <laughs> But look, it, it's true. I do not use it when I'm sleeping. I absolutely I don't. I, Sometimes know. when I wake up in the middle of the night, though, I go have a quick one. Well, I'll usually take a couple of melatonins instead. But <laughs> so I wake up in the middle. Of the night. But uh, but but I smoke all day, you know. And uh, so, I, and I just wrote this book with. Uh, you know, there are 12 PhDs in there, any number of people from the industry who participated in it. And I was the final editor of the book. And, um, you know, and I'm smoking pot all the time. You know, I I even might do it on your show. <laughs> I do it on my show. And I mean, we'd have the... Well, you don't do it anymore. Wait, yeah, he does. I just yeah, do it right tonight. before yeah, the show. Does. No. Before the, not during the show. That's right. I just have a little right. bong room just outside here. It's my green room. Actually, it's my uh, extra bathroom, but I just turned it into my green room. Yeah. And uh, but I'm the same way. I mean, I'm writing books. I'm editing audio books. We we got a couple companies on the go, and I'm stoned yeah. most of the time. So uh, I have a hard time believing that it's slowing me down. If anything, it's probably helping me kind of focus in, so I'm not all over the fucking place. Right. So, well, what are your books? Uh, I actually, I wrote my my first book was a Canadian Shame, the Indian Act in Residential Schools. It's right on your table there, Darren. Which yeah. is right here on my table. Mm. And uh, the next one is in their own words, um, which is all the uh, the testimony from all of the uh, survivors of the residential school program. Uh, that they gave to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2015. You're doing good work. I'm trying to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's very important. But See, I, I figured I'd write grow books to help people overgrow the government. That's right, overgrow, overgrow the government. Eventually we'll get you know, there. You know who said that? It was Mark. Was it? You know, Mark. You, you know who got marijuana legal in Canada? Mark Mark Emery. Uh, Mark yeah. yeah, he started overgrow the government. That, oh, that, I like that. That's his phrase. Yeah. yeah, he's a BC boy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, I was at his wedding, uh, and he invited all all these people from the U.S. and Jane and I were the only people who showed up. Aww. The other people, I guess, they were scared that um, you know. People would know that they smoked dope or something. I don't 
still, we don't still, care about that in Canada. Stigma, yeah, but it's, uh, well, but these were these were people from the U.S. Yeah, in Canada, he he had loads of guests from Canada, but none from the. But Jane and I were the only ones from the U.S. The ca- Canadian else, border guards, their thing else is was too scared to go to his wedding. If you if you've ever got a DUI or anything like that with alcohol, Canada will not let you in. Same thing with the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S., if you've ever had any pot stuff too, even if it's legal, yeah. they say if a border yeah. guard asks you if you smoke weed, you say fucking no. Well, that's why it kind of has to change really at a high federal level. Like it has to just be across the board, not you know. You know. That's a problem. We don't have a high federal level, and that's what we need for it to change. Yeah. And you know what? Obama should have known better. He yeah, should but have the big, yeah, but there's risks. Big Pharma can't. I mean, look, they're getting no, paid by this corporation. No, they don't, no, they don't no, want this no, stuff. No, no, no. Big Pharma doesn't care. Because here's what happens. If there's some particular chemical... Yeah, on, yeah they'll take it and, and synthesize it and all right. that. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. They don't care. So it's not yeah, Big but, Pharma. But you if people are getting high and healing on their own, then they don't need their prescription drugs as much. I mean, it's it's true. Like they that that's true. But you know what? What? So that's a conflict. That that is a conflict between pharma and and doctors now, because doctors are beginning to accept cannabis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. You know. So, but I wouldn't say that pharma is. I would say that it was that it's Absolutely. been law enforcement. Mostly right. because they're d- direct beneficiaries of this. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It, puts it, it keeps them at work, right? Right, yeah. right. And yeah. you know, and they still want they want to they want to uh, in some states they want a, a position regulate in regulating the civil. You know, it's now civilly regulated, and they still want to get involved in it and all that. So. Bullshit. We got to overgrow anyway, them all. On a personal level, except for the fact that I've been busted any number of times, uh, I've had no harassment about it and about growing it. I've never been harassed because, uh, uh, except for the time when the feds uh, came after me, that was that's the one time that I was, uh, they went after me because of who I was. Uh, you know, politically and uh, in terms of writing these books, and uh, but that that didn't work out too well for them. When was that? How long? That was. You can read about it. Was in uh, two thousand two. Yeah. Well, that was just when I was uh, coming of age. Well, no, I was when it's I was coming. It's it, it's come, the twentieth anniversary is coming up. Yeah. And here, here here's what happened. They they. They busted me. They thought they were going to get these big flowers, and I was running a, a clone establishment. <laughs> so there were no flowers. So they're carrying out these little trays of these little plants. Not a very so good photo say, op. This is worth $2 million. No. So, and then the head of the DEA came into town to announce that this bust. And people found out about it. And on the radio, people are cursing him. I mean, like, it was unbelievable. I, I was already in jail, but but people were, like, um, you know, uh, 
vociferous in their opposition to it. And then he came to speak at what he thought was his conservative business forum. And like they even if they were had been businessmen, they they um, they were pro pot. You know, it was San Francisco. And so they 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 um, he was booed. The sheriff of San Francisco was outside with a megaphone denouncing him. Um, you know, it was like that was, uh, not sheriff, the uh, district attorney. Oh, okay. Hallinan was denouncing him. And uh, so anyway, uh, and then there was this big trial that was covered by the New York Times. And the two things that happened with the trial was, well, there were a bunch of things. So the judge didn't let the jury know that it was all medical and that I was appointed by the city of Oakland to provide medicine to the patients. So once they found me guilty, they were informed of this as they were leaving. And the next time there was a, a, a hearing about my case, you know, was to see whether I was going directly to prison or whether I would be, there'd be some time before sentencing. The judge walked in and he saw the jury, now no longer jurors, but citizens denouncing him. And it was the first denouncing the, not in the court, but after they held press conferences and they denounced what they had done, repudiated what they did. Wow. And they, and they denounced the judge for they, for not allowing them to hear the whole truth. Ah. And then we went. You know, do you have chilies up in um, Canada? Uh, yeah, it's like it's like a chain Mexican yeah. restaurant. There was one near there, so we all went out to lunch. And I had to console the um, the jurors because you know they. Um, they felt really guilty about having convicted me, and I had felt no guilt at all. So I had to console them. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that must have been a, a turning point in the whole legal thing, too. I mean, well, then somebody asked my daughter, a reporter asked my daughter, who's uh, 11 at the time, and says to her, What do you think? She says, my dad helps sick people. My dad's a hero. Wow. So that was a headline on the tabloid. Yeah. And then that hit all over the country. So I got one day, time served, after all this. So then everybody goes out and there are all these supporters and all these people at the press conference saying how enlightened the judge was. And then I was the last speaker, and I denounced the judge. I said, uh, uh, "This uh, uh, let's see, this judge." Um, I, I, I don't know, but but it was like uh, uh, that the judge. Um, that this judge did me no favors. 
Nobody should go to prison for marijuana. That was the first part of it. And then there was further denunciation of them. And so that hit the papers. And my when my daughter said, um, uh, my dad's a hero, the, the U.S. was in the middle of a $20 million campaign that medical marijuana would send the wrong message to children. And that campaign abruptly ended. She knocked out the government campaign against medical marijuana. So Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah, big turning point. Yeah, it was. It was a major turning point. And um, so... Um, and then after that, I did stay out of commercial marijuana for a number of years. And, uh, so, but here we are, it's legal now, so I can pursue my career. I mean, this was just <laughs> a slight diversion, for, you know, from, from where I, I was supposed to be, so... I think my parents would be happy. Maybe you can go back to anti-war demonstrations against this Ukraine thing going on. You know, maybe there'll be opportunities for a little anti-war protesting in your new career. (laughs) You know what? Uh, I think that the the main thing is like this. This is a very weird situation. There are the overt fascists, right? That like in the Republican Party, like the Trumpers, and then there's a Democratic Party which is just is okay with war. So it's a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Well, we're up against that hard place ourselves, Ed. Uh, we'd like to big thanks to you for coming on the show. It's been a fantastic hour and a half. We do hope. Uh, you can send us a copy of the book, so that well, I we can. We'll send you. We'll send you some copies. You know what? And when you have a contest, we'll send you some to give away to your uh, listeners. Oh, oh forget, perfect! It, like whether you're a big, if you're a beginner, this book has everything you need to begin, and okay. it lets you begin on a very gentle level. And if you're an experienced grower, it has uh, technical material that you haven't seen anywhere else. A lot of it was developed just for this book. So, and it was written, it was written without a lot of jargon. So you don't have to be a scientist to read this book. And you can just, you could pick up this book tomorrow and the next day you'll be able to start setting up your garden. And it's called Cannabis Grower's Handbook, right? Cannabis Grower's Handbook, yes. And, And where's the best place to buy that? Well, uh, a lot of stores carry it, and uh, Amazon carries it. So I think that... uh, It's on your website. uh, uh, My website is edrosenthal.com. Should we buy it there? Well, you know, not for for Canada, it would be much cheaper for them to go through Amazon because of uh international shipping shipping costs are just uh horrendous so uh but um but you can definitely get it up in canada and uh this book will change the way you grow because it has infamous whether you're a beginner or uh uh have been growing for a while this book has a lot of information that just uh hasn't been available before 
Well, there's definitely a bunch of growers in our audience on all different scales from personal to uh, commercial. Some of them right over by you there over in California. Yeah. Uh, so big thanks, Ed, for coming on the show, for sa- taking some time out of your, uh, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Is it Wednesday? Taking time out of your Wednesday it night. It is Wednesday, yes. And yep. uh, and we will have to have you back again again in the future to talk about tomatoes. Yeah, I, we'll we'll talk about the difference between to you know people breed marijuana a lot, right? That's right. But they don't breed tomato. You don't hear people saying I'm breeding tomatoes. We'll go into why. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Thanks, Ed. I mean, like I bet people would like to breed tomatoes, but. But, uh, there are reasons why they don't. It's a good cliffhanger. I, we, I'm still waiting for the answer on the portobello mushrooms from Paul Stamets, too. But, uh, okay, Ed, it's been portobello wonderful. Portobello mushrooms are the same thing mushrooms as the little, the, the tiny mushrooms, you know, the button mushrooms, yeah. the brown button mushrooms, except that instead of letting them grow profusely with loads of them in a, in a small container they you have maybe you have many one tenth as many and those and they grow you know and then they grow bigger we need bigger tomatoes too well um somewhat but but the size of those portobello those are the same mushrooms as this much smaller ones it's just different uh, cultivation techniques and more delicious, arguably. Well, yeah, arguably. All right, okay. Ed. Have a wonderful Thanks, night. Okay. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. You're Thank welcome. you for coming. And, and expect those books uh, shortly. Thank you, Thanks. sir. Yeah. And that was our chat with Ed Rosenthal. What do you think, buddy? That's great. Oh well, we got these events. Maybe we could bring a book to a couple events. You know, I mean. It, be great to give them out as a little fucking Netflix raise the pricing. And I had to cancel this yeah. Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that was good. That was a fun chat. I'm glad you and him got to sort of hash out some technical details on, on growing and all that. I think that I'm was glad good. you didn't get you too can... triggered when he started bashing on Trump. No, I don't care about <laughs> Trump. It's just, it's just whether it's not that bad. There was a time when you wouldn't have been able to let that slide. Oh, dude. Well, I mean, all, <laughs> like three it's, years it's, ago. It's just tough. Three years ago, he like, wouldn't have come oh, on the all, show. All his supporters are white supremacists. They're smoking dope now, too. I mean, <laughs> I just, it's. Big thanks to Ed for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the select few, the one in a hundred, the one and a half in a hundred that choose to be part of the uh, supporters around here, part of the value, giving some value back to the value we're hoping we're providing you on a weekly basis. Not a free show, value for value for show, but not a value for value show, meaning we give it out to you all for free on the hopes that you will find some value in it and decide to throw some back our way. GrowAmerica.ca slash support today. You can make a one-time donation. You can sign up for a monthly, which is even cooler. You can uh, get a hold of us if you want to send us some cryptos or something. There's a bunch of different options on the website. And then, of course, there's GrowAmerica Outlawed, which is our other podcast over at GrowAmericaOutlawed.ca. I think we're... Just hit our one-year anniversary. We just passed it. It was the 24th, so uh, that's all coming up. 
one year, that means there's 50 or 60 episodes there, grammaricoutlaw.ca, an hour for free, two hours for uh, plus members. Sign up over there today. Um, different show. Some people get confused. Supporting this show doesn't get you the plus for that show. They're two different shows. We'd hope you'd support them both. Uh, if you listen to them both, contact at cabin.com if you want to get in on one of those tours. You may want to get in on that fucking soon. I know that September tour, people are thinking they got time. I'm telling you right now that... Uh, this is the September Randall one? Yeah, things are and happening. This is, is this Washington or Montana? Washington. Washington's cabin. Yeah, Randall's going on Rogan, like very soon, within the next three weeks. And he's mentioning it. And I expect it to sell out a couple times over uh, shortly after that. So if any of you guys have been humming and hawing about getting on there, I'd get that deposit in sooner or later because it looks wide open now, but it is going to fill up fucking fast. Adultbrain.ca for the audiobooks. I think that's about it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Teach me all your secrets to get a good handle on a better way to live. How does one get out of bed every day in the throes of the apocalypse? Should I bury my head in the sand or sabotage their evil plan? I feel really trapped. An ant burned by a magnifying glass. It's all a little bit too convenient All the evidence went up in flames Phonies, fraudsters, scammers belong in the slammer My friend best give up their names Should I call on militia man? Or pass out a petition pen? I feel really trapped An ant burned by a magnifying glass I don't know what y'all been told, but I got a soul made out of gold. Sound off, one, two, sound off, three, four, cadence count, one, two, a three, four. Some time ago a crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking into World War Three. As prophetic as humanity, as aching bones, as Animals. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats it down the river in dark. As prophetic as deja vu, as wormwood, as falling stars above. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats it down the river in dark. I can't even hear my own thoughts for the life of me over the din of a bruised and broken culture the media spins and splatters and spins and clatters and i cringe because it's psychological warfare don't you feel yourself getting really mad how did we let it get this bad don't you feel really trapped like a brain in a vet to close Pandora's box but sirens are singing me off a cliff I'm looking to hitchhike to Shangri-La over yonder Sophia would you give me a lift hopped out of the Hegelian rebellion say goodbye to all you Machiavellians let evil destroy itself I'm bound for Shangri-La 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 Thank you.
dream if I could be in yours. I'll let you be in my dream if I could be in yours. That's prophetic as morning doves, as groundhogs, as fallen stars above. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now we're floating it down a river dark. As Above a river bright La 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 shit.